Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Oh man, it's an exciting week for us here at Forum and at KQED as a whole. It's Youth Takeover Week, and our team has been working with five young people to produce and help me host shows about topics that they care about. Up first, we've got Rajvi Kanjan Shroff, a student at Cupertino High School and the founder of Project Cyber, a youth-run cybersecurity organization. Who do we have on the show today, Rajvi? We'll be joined by Rinky Sethi, Bill.com Chief Information Security Officer, Shira Frankel, the New York Times cybersecurity reporter, and Rijuv Parak, a cybersecurity specialist at Ernst & Young. That's right, they're all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It is Youth Takeover Week here at KQED. And I'm joined this morning by Rajvi Kanjan-Straff, a Cupertino High School student who produced this hour forum. Hi, Rajvi. Hi, Alexis. <laughs> so I want to start this segment talking about your own work. So according to the CDC, teens spend between seven and a half to nine hours a day on their screens. I probably spent that much time on my computer as a teenager. But you've taken a special interest in cybersecurity specifically, and particularly in helping your peers become more mindful in how they can avoid being fished, hacked, taken advantage of. So just got to ask, like, why cybersecurity as a team? <laughs> yeah, so um, really interesting question. I wanted to start by just saying kind of how I got introduced to the field. It was completely by accident, actually. Um, So in seventh grade, I was actually going through Khan Academy video, and I accidentally clicked on RSA video, which is a video about um, a cybersecurity algorithm. And I was just hooked. I was like, how does this thing work? Like, what's the what's the story behind this? So I kind of got my start into cybersecurity purely by chance. And so from there, um, I uh, did a lot of CTFs, which are like a technical cybersecurity competition. And um, I really enjoyed that process of kind of using Linux skills and like 
having um, cryptography and like trying to figure out like you know what kind of algorithm is this and that kind of problem solving element and so because so wait, what do you do that, in like a cybersecurity competition yeah so um, it involves like a broad range of things so um, it's like you have a challenge and you try to find a flag. That's actually why it's called Capture the Flag. Um, so it's like a secret code that you get like once you are, um, once you successfully solved a challenge. And so um, CTFs, you kind of are trying to find vulnerabilities behind um, a system and kind of figure out kind of um, like what is uh, like, going on with the system why are there these vulnerabilities and how can I patch them and so um, once I had that experience of solving CTFs I was just like this is so cool and I was just hooked and then from there um, I also kind of wanted to um, really help people because you know when I was solving these CTF challenges I kind of felt like a Jedi um, <laughs> I felt like I was fighting the dark side you know um, like I was like this is um, this is what I want to do in life like I want to help people I want to kind of protect against the bad so to say as a good person as a white hat so that was kind of um, the feeling behind why I wanted to go into cyber so you started this organization to promote these kind of cybersecurity best practices, and it's called Project Cyber. So tell me how, how it works. Yeah, so um, what we do is we create um, cybersecurity peer-edited content. So we have um, uh, like a process through which um, members can pitch their ideas for technical cybersecurity uh, articles and also CTFs. And um, once they have, they have around a month, one month timeline. And once they have their initial pitch, they go on to kind of create content um, in cybersecurity, uh, like in whatever domain that interests them. Mm. So we recently had um, someone write about ransomware and mm -hmm. how they can protect against that, or kind of like my experience in cyber, like my one of my members wrote about that. So it's kind of like something that I really hoped would engage them and in whatever like topic they liked and then from there they um, kind of talked with other teens who are interested in cyber from my organization mm -hmm. who are also members and then um, they were kind of able to meet new people that way and then by the end after that peer editing process they have a final product that can be uploaded onto our website mm -hmm. so that's kind of like how the whole timeline works. Do most of your friends practice good cybersecurity hygiene, or are they basically just a mess? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I would say I'm more like a doctor, you know? I'm like <laughs> the person who You're is like, like don't you know, click on that link. Yeah, no, yeah. don't. For my sake, even if you think it's not <laughs> worth it, um, for my sake, please. Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, one of my friends, she was joking. She was like, you know, why is cybersecurity important for us teens? Like, I don't have anything about like, you know, if a hacker wants to hack into my school account and do my homework, like that is totally <laughs> that is totally welcome. Like not something I'm worried about. And so I was like, no, no. But like, do you want your social media to be hacked? And she was like, no way. So kind of like, you know, trying to um, see my like help my friends see like what that cybersecurity really does affect them and that they have to like be mindful about that. And so I think um, I'd say I'm like a doctor. I like try to have annual checkups, so to say, and kind of help them um, be more mindful about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, have you had kids get like hacked and like come to you in the hallway? 
I have actually um, my friend she was like you know um, uh, her computer actually st- didn't um, it start stopped stopped working and it just started to like have like these black screens and like it just yeah. like would just like blank out and so um, I would like help her try to troubleshoot and then I think the best part was she was like i should have downloaded an antivirus software (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um that's been crazy as well how many other teens do you find are similarly interested in cybersecurity in the way that you are i think once i started project cyber and started to like try to reach out to more people um in cyber i think i found out like just how many kids were interested in cyber like me and I think that process is really fun, like meeting kids who are like also passionate about this topic and kind of seeing their story and like hearing their perspective on it. Um, That was really cool. And then I think um, in terms of just people uh, at my school, I think they're really interested in cyber because I think nowadays there's a lot of like dialogue about like Mm -hmm. making sure you're cyber safe and having good cyber hygiene. So I think definitely like a lot of people I know are really interested in um, this field. Um, Maybe not the technical aspects, but at least like trying to make sure they have good cyber hygiene. Yeah. I was just thinking about how different it is from when I was a kid where most people encountered like sort of the idea of hackers versus people encountering, you know, misinformation or, you know, direct attacks, hearing about ransomware attacks on like cities. It's like seems much more, much closer to people now than maybe it was in the past. Yeah, I definitely think that, like, with more dialogue, I think people have, like, either had friends or, like, know of people who have been hacked. And I think that kind of uh, rhetoric has been going around a lot. So I think definitely, like, compared to a couple of years ago, like, in middle school at least, um, well, maybe because it was middle school. And so <laughs> people were like, whatever. <laughs> um, but in middle school, I think... Um, not not a lot of people were worried yeah. about this stuff, but as you get like older, I think definitely people are more worried about it. Yeah. I gave a presentation to our school board when I was in middle school about a thing called the Internet. Uh, that's a <laughs> slightly different age. Um, we are talking about cybersecurity, how to protect yourself and your family online. It's Youth Takeover Week, and this hour has been produced by Rajvi Kanjan Shrop. High school senior at Cupertino High and founder of Project Cyber, a cybersecurity organization. We are going to bring in Shira Frankel. She's a technology reporter based in San Francisco covering cybersecurity for the New York Times. And she's co-author of In Ugly Truth, Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination. Welcome, Shira. Hey, thanks for having me. We also want to welcome in all of our listeners. What are your questions about how to protect yourself or your kids or your parents online, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Maybe you've been hacked. What'd you do that was helpful? What wasn't? The number is 866-733-6786. The emails form at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Um, Shir Frankel, when you're trying to describe for readers how important this field of cybersecurity is or how vulnerable they might be, like, how, how do you do it? How do you make that case? Um, well, we sort of liken it to your home. Would you leave the front doors of your home unlocked? Would you leave the key in the front door when you went to sleep at night? I mean, you really should be thinking of what we consider your digital hygiene. Um, the same way you, same way you consider your physical 
uh, security, your physical hygiene. And I, I just want to say, Alexis, I, I'm a parent. I know you are as well. Mm-hmm. There is something so lovely about <laughs> listening to <laughs> this conversation and and just knowing that teenagers are so far ahead of adults when it comes to thinking of their day-to-day security. Just even hearing that there is sort of this cybersecurity movement among teenagers is so heartening and wonderful. Yeah. I mean, Rajvi, for families out there who don't have a you right there, I mean, what are the like the things that you're like, these are the most important things that I think about for cybersecurity? I think like as in tips to kind of become more cybersecurity. Yeah, just the, the very basics. Have a password manager. <laughs> I think um, having all your passwords collected into one like um, manager that can like make sure you don't have passwords lying around on like definitely not sticky notes or like not like one document. Um, How about just one password yeah. for every website? No, definitely. Please don't do that. Um, have unique and random ones for each one. And yeah, I think. It's easier said than done. But once you get into the habit of it, I think definitely um, it gets easier time. Yeah. Sure, Frankel. I mean, cybersecurity exists both as this kind of geopolitical domain, but it's also something that is like an everyday thing. How much do you think like an just regular person has to worry about this versus someone who might be like targeted by a regime? Right. I think one of the things that um, journalism really struggles with is when you write about these big hacks, when you write about Russia and China and the way that they're hacking government entities, it can make the entire thing feel really inaccessible for the average person. And the average person doesn't really need to spend time thinking about what Russian, you know, hacking armies or the Chinese, you know, are doing. What they need to think about is day-to-day scammers. What they need to think about is what are the threats to them? The average person should really start just just as you just heard with a password manager, <laughs> right? Like have a secure password, have it saved somewhere so you don't have to think about it day to day and change your passwords up for different websites. Don't click on weird links you get sent over email or over text message. Really just starting with a basic skepticism towards the internet is a great place. We're talking about cybersecurity, how to protect yourself and your family online. It's Youth Takeover Week. This hour has been produced by Rajvi Kanchan Shroff, a high school senior at Cupertino High and founder of Project Security, cybersecurity organization. Also with us this morning, Shira Frankel, technology reporter on cybersecurity based in San Francisco for The New York Times and co-author of An Ugly Truth Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination. We're joined by more guests right after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about how to protect yourself, your family online. It is Youth Takeover Week where we work with high school students across the Bay Area to produce shows and get them onto the air. This hour has been produced by our guest Rajvi Kanjan Shroff, high school senior, Cupertino High School and founder of Project Cyber. We're also joined by Shira Frankel, technology reporter based in San Francisco, covering cybersecurity for the New York Times. We want to add two other voices to our conversation, professionals in this field. We've got Rinki Sethi, uh, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Bill.com and former C- they CISO, right? That's what you guys say in the field, right? That's for right. Uh, For Twitter. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by Riju Parak, Associate Director of Global Cybersecurity and Managed Services Methodology Development for Ernst & Young. Welcome, Riju. Thank you. Thanks for having me, too. We also would love to hear from you. What are your questions about how to protect yourself or your kids or your parents online? The number is 866-733-6786. Maybe you've been hacked or someone close to you has been hacked. What did you do to try and recover from that? What was helpful and, and what wasn't? Again, the number is 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Um, let's talk uh, with with you, Rinky, because you also got interested in cybersecurity as a teenager, just like Rajvi, no? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know what cybersecurity was until I got my first job in cybersecurity out of college. Uh, But after that, I did realize that I probably had an interest or a passion or somehow discovered cybersecurity as a teenager. Uh, I used to, I had just discovered AOL Instant Messenger, which is what we used uh, to chat with our friends. Um, And I would use that to chat during the, when I was home after school and at night. And I one day heard my dad telling my mom about something I had chatted with a friend with. And I'm like, how did he know about that? (laughs) He had to have been reading my chats. So I found that he had put parental spyware on my desktop machine, also known as a keylogger. And... I told my sister, dad's monitoring all our chats. He's trying to figure out if we have boyfriends and what we're talking about. And he's telling mom everything. And so I wrote a program to remove the software. And every time he'd go back and install it, and then I would run the program that would detect that he installed it and then would uninstall it. Um, And I gave that to my sister as well. So that was my intro into cybersecurity and kind of that hacker mindset, if you will. so interesting. I mean... Um, you have kids yourself now too, right? So how do you feel about what your dad did at that point? Yeah, I it's it's funny at the time I'm like these parents, um, and now it's security's matured so much. You have parental controls that you can put, and kids know about how the parents are monitoring, and so um, it's it's an interesting paradigm shift when you become a parent. Yeah, you know how do you think differently about cybersecurity, like, you know, within a family or just for yourself versus when you're doing this at like the enterprise, like large corporate level? My first uh, introduction to that was when I realized as a cybersecurity professional, I hadn't taught my own kids about anything related to cybersecurity. And my daughter was playing a game and got a text message from the game that said, 
do you want to get buy more coins? And she responded to the automated text message and said, my dad is taking a nap right now, but I'll get back to you. <laughs> and I was like, I have these kids are now introduced to technology and they're spending hours a day at a very, very young age and they know nothing about cybersecurity. And so I think teaching kids the basics at a very early age on what they need to do to protect their digital footprint, what they need to do to protect themselves online is super important. And I think the kids will start teaching everybody in the communities as well around cybersecurity. And I think um, there's now, it, it, compared to a decade or two decades ago when I started my career, it everybody talks about cybersecurity. Yeah. Everybody understands it, whereas nobody even knew about the field mm -hmm. before. Rija Parak, were you also just into cybersecurity as a teen? Is this just how this field goes? <laughs> no, I think, you know, similar to Rinky, um, you know, I got into the field after graduate school and, you know, as part of my first job and literally just walking the halls and ran into this wonderful lady who, um, you know, after introductions, we talked and she said, you know, sounds like you have a computer science background. Like, you know, we actually have a cyber practice. And I'm like, really? And uh, three days later, I was on my first cyber project. Oh um, so pro tip to all the teens, you know, walk the halls, network, <laughs> talk to yeah, people. Right. Um, what do you, like when you say cybersecurity, what are the things that sort of fall under the purview of that for you, Riju? Um, you know, I think, and that kind of matches up to, you know, whether it's enterprise level, um, if you're helping clients and corporations, but I think more so at a personal level, um, just making sure how truly are you safe in the online world, you know, piggybacking on what Rinky just said, the landscape of maturity has truly escalated in the last, you know, 10 years or so. And I think it's really become um, a personal imperative for everybody, not just, you know, teens, but adults and more so senior citizens that are just so vulnerable to um, being uh, tricked online. Yeah. And I mean, it just feels like those issues are getting uh, even more intense because you have ever more realistic sort of content being generated by these chatbots. And it seems like it's getting easier for that kind of social engineering to to scale up and hit everybody, um, which is a worrisome thing. Um, I wanted to get to uh, a, a, one of our comments that has come in um, based on something you said earlier, uh, Rajvi. Robert wants to ask, and maybe, Roger, you can start off with this and you can kick it to our guests if you want, um, wants to know, how are password managers secure? Like, how to think about, like, the security of a password manager versus, like, you know, each uh, having a password for each individual site. Yeah, so a password manager will not know um, your password. So it's supposed to be um, kind of... Okay, I think I should rephrase that, actually. Yeah. Um, so a password manager will know your passwords in that you store them on there, but um, the company will not know your passwords. And so what will happen when you have, like, Post-its notes or a random document is it could get compromised. You could, like, you know, accidentally throw away your Post-it notes or um, you could, like, accidentally get locked out of that document. And so a password manager is secure in the sense that if you have a really, really strong master password, then um, the likelihood of you losing access to um, your accounts because of forgetting your password is uh, far less. And so you're more likely to create, like, stronger passwords because you're not the one memorizing. Mm. No one wants to memorize. Right, like a 40-digit yeah. password. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no one wants to do that. And so um, a password manager helps you kind of keep your life organized mm. in that way. And um, 
Rinky, Riju, I just wanted to know your thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I think Rajvi hit it on the nail. Um, you know, to think about it, I, I'm sure folks have heard recently about password managers being hacked, right? Um, but the way that they protect your passwords is actually protected. That is their whole technology. Mm-hmm. So the way your passwords are protected that you don't need to worry about. When their hack happened, it wasn't any exposure to consumers or the consumers or the customers of those password managers. It was a hack that had to do with more of their company and their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so um, password managers are the way to go. They allow you, I can't remember passwords. I can't even remember anybody's phone <laughs> number, right? And so I think it's it really helps you build complex passwords that you don't have to remember. Um, and then you just don't even have to worry about it. And half the time, whether you're using your mobile app or you're using your laptop, it'll automatically fill things in for you. So you're not typing them constantly either. Um, but you can trust password managers to give you a good sense of security around your passwords. Yeah. What about using just the built-in browser storage for your passwords? That's definitely one option. Um, I think then you have to still worry about how you're protecting your computer and how you're protecting your laptop and making sure that there's no social engineering into the browser. Um, But I would say still, you know, depending on where, if you're using that browser in all locations, you'll start having this mismatch of, do I now have access that, to that uh, same browser and that same those same passwords on another device? And that's where password managers really come in, where you can install those on all your devices and have access to all your passwords in the same exact way with the same feel. That's cool. Um, let's bring in some callers. We've got uh, Mike in Santa Clara. Welcome. Hey, thanks, and uh, congratulations to Rashmi. This is like a, this is a great story from a high school at Cupertino High. Hey, um, I have worked in technology for many years on on some consumer based um, security products too. And the simple hack in terms of teaching my family how to learn about cybersecurity and keep them updated is, you know, we're um, we are supposed to take yearly training at work. And so I save that training and I do it at home um, in front of the kids <laughs> and they do it with me. Do they, do, I and mean, so do, they learn a lot of those basics along the way, which is great. Do they actually manage to sit through it or uh, how does that go? <laughs> well, you know, some of it's a little bit over their head, but, you know, I talk about the important parts about, you know, some of the things that um, that your hosts have mentioned in terms of like not not using the same password and writing it down in all the same places and, um, the whole co- the whole concept of phishing and you know the the, the details that that make up a phishing attack and um, that might be a little bit uh, complex sometimes but they they're starting to get it they they realize that someone's not going to urgently send them an email that they need to click right now to save their you know uh, email password right yeah That's just not how things work yeah you know. I- um, Riju, I wanted to go to you on this. I mean, this idea of the the phishing attack, it's like the simplicity of so many of these attacks is basically just to send like a billion people an email with a link that will do something bad if you click on it and say, add some urgency to it. Like, how do you train people to see through those kinds of attacks? Yeah, you know, they definitely have gotten very sophisticated over the years. And um, especially for, you know, sites that are, you know, I get a lot of email from Amazon to say, hey, your package has been, you know, mm-hmm. your service has been disrupted for some reason, you know, click on this link. And you know, off the bat, because you can check logos, you can check, you know, the sender address to see if it's truly authentic. Is it really at Amazon.com or whatever uh, the 
uh, URL on the sender might be. But just to make sure that, you know, it looks authentic. There are, you know, blueprints on there. Um, the content, you know, nobody would really ask you for your personal information um, directly via email, like especially for, you mm -hmm. know, if it's a bank application. Uh, and more so, I think now the threat with, you know, with personal banking and online banking, um, you know, they typically tend, they don't, send you information over email. <laughs> right, right, right. Or ask for it in quite that way, right? Yeah. Um, Sher Frankel, a uh, cybersecurity reporter with The Times, what do you think your readers, just based on your interactions with them, what do you think they misunderstand the most about cybersecurity? I think that a lot of readers think they have to buy expensive software. They think they have to buy expensive antivirus tools. They, they, they want they see all these advertisements and they believe that they have to invest in something that costs quite a bit of money. And I think they don't realize that there are inexpensive products out there that things like that are free, like signing up for two factor authentication on their Gmail or on their social media sites, um, a basic subscription to a good password manager. Like These are really, really wonderful ways to start. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in another caller. Let's go to Peter in San Francisco. Yes, hi. Thanks for having this discussion. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't in the very beginning, but I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things that personal people can do with regard to hacking. And I think uh, it would be valuable to consider two things, and that is collective action about bad things being able to happen in the first place through regulation, as an example. I think Europe has much stronger privacy uh, laws, and the U.S. Postal Service has always it's in the Constitution, and as I understand it, we have very strong laws against uh, butting into uh, mail and even have had po postal inspectors to look out for fraud. So the privacy, you know, when, when the previous speakers just said banks don't send personal info via email, yeah, they send it by mail, which is protected by law. The other thing is the nature of the threat needs to be considered, and I think there's a lot of threat to uh, a whole range of personal matters by corporate routine surveillance that not has nothing to do with hacking. So earlier today on NPR, I guess there was talk about how one of the rideshare companies, at least one of them, is paying people differentially based on all the information they gather on each employee to see who might be more vulnerable to getting offers of a lower rate of pay than somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that kind of a thing is going on all the time, bargaining with people, offers or not offers made and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think the standard corporate practices very often are using the surveillance information for a whole range of reasons that weaken us in comparison to corporations. Peter, thanks so much for, for those thoughts. I'm going to throw this one to Shira uh, Frankel. I mean, there's kind of a, a couple of different questions in there. I mean, one is, where is the line between, you know, hacking in the way that we're talking about it here, attacks that people are protecting themselves from, and kind of privacy erosion, which is sort of in the, the second uh, bucket of things that Peter was was just talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And they're, they're really two separate things, because in one, you've, in a way, signed a contract with these companies to give them your privacy in exchange for free services. And it's it's not explicit. It's 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 the subtext. When you sign up for Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or any of these, you're giving them access to quite a bit of data. And that is something that we perhaps need to have more of a public conversation around. 
Um, the other is the the cyber, you know, cybersecurity element comes in when you haven't, you know, you haven't consented to giving that data. Someone is hacking you. Someone is stealing that data. And that, of course, feels very, very different to people. Mm -hmm. Do you want to take that one on, Ricky? It's so interesting, and I'm so glad that this was brought up. Um, it, you know, I think about again my career 20 years ago. Nobody was talking about cybersecurity, and just recently, Biden here issued an executive order around cybersecurity, um, mandating that companies do things in a certain way, they report incidents in a certain way. Um, we're seeing more countries now say that we're going to ban things that don't follow our privacy rules, whether that's we've heard about TikTok or ChatGPT. Um, and so there's a massive change happening and technology is evolving so quickly that countries and the world, we've kind of lagged behind, but it's starting to change. And it's actually helping companies be better. It's helping people be better. We've seen the SEC starting to mandate that we have cybersecurity expertise at the board level at company at public companies. Um, and that's just, again, to bring that awareness and really, really raise the bar around cybersecurity. Uh, so I think it's a really good point that there do need to be laws and there needs to be kind of more mandates around this. Uh, I completely agree, Rinki. I think, you know, Peter, thank you again for that question. Uh, data privacy, and I think this is becoming such a big topic now, and I think, you know, definitely started with, you know, Europe's regulations around GDPR, but I think more and more countries are now kind of taking on and hanging on on that bandwagon where they're raising the awareness of data privacy, right? And I think since we are celebrating the Youth Awareness Week, I think it truly, truly starts from having teens, you know, being aware of how much data they're posting online and and, and what type of data they truly are giving away uh, mm -hmm. without knowing that they are. Um, you know, funny that Rinky mentioned about the coin situation earlier. I, I accidentally paid $90 because my kid decided to um, spend 90 oh. bucks on coins without knowing that she was actually, she thought it was fake money. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Um, wow, that's incredible. Um, we are talking about cybersecurity how to protect yourself and your family online. It's Youth Takeover Week, and this hour's been produced by Rajvi Kanjan Shroff. She's a high school senior at Cupertino High, also founder of Project Cyber, a cybersecurity uh, magazine organization for, for teens. We're also joined by uh, Riju Parak, Associate Director of Global Cybersecurity and Managed Services Methodology Development for Ernst & Young. Rinki Sethi, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with Bill.com. And Shir Frankel, technology reporter based in San Francisco, covering cybersecurity for The New York Times. We're going to get to a couple more of your calls and comments after the break. We'd love to know, you know, have you been hacked? What'd you do? What'd you wish you hadn't done? What was helpful for you? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Or maybe you've just got a simple question about how to protect yourself or your kids or your parents online. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the social things at KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Youth Takeover Week. And this hour has been produced by Rajvi Kanjanshrop, high school senior at Cupertino High. We're talking about cybersecurity, how to protect yourself and your family online. We're joined by Sheer Frankel, a cybersecurity reporter for The New York Times, Rinky Sethi, vice president and chief information security officer at Bill.com, and Riju Parak, a cybersecurity specialist at Ernst & Young. We have... Uh, comment that's coming in. And Roger, I'm going to kick it over to you. And if you want to kick it to our guests, that's that's cool too. Holly writes in to say, I was recently the victim of what I now know as scareware. It's in quotes there. Scare quotes, literal scare quotes there. Uh, it was obvious that someone had gotten into my computer as big windows and the mic were telling me that Apple was supposedly freezing my computer. I didn't want to shut off my device for fear that the quote bad guys would have access to all my data. And I knew not to call the phone number on the flashing screen. Thinking I was being smart, I Googled Apple customer care to ask them what to do, but the number on that window turned out to be the hacker's number. The whole time that I was talking to someone who I thought was Apple, it was actually hackers, and I ended up losing a lot of money before I figured it out. When is it okay or not okay to turn off your device is Holly's specific question in this. But there's maybe a deeper question about what to do if you are live watching your computer be compromise. And actually, Rinky, maybe we'll take it over to you. Yeah. Um, one, if something like that happens, uh, you can shut off your computer if you feel that's right. But also, rather than Googling the number, sometimes the top hits will or searching the number on, on your preferred search site, the top hits will not be the actual site. The best thing to do is if you're looking for the Apple customer care Go to the Apple website, Apple dot com, <laughs> right, and go and look up their customer care number there, or even if accessible, take the device to <laughs> an Apple store or whatever it is. Um, and so that's that's what I would say is the best way. Sometimes restarting will work, uh, but you may also want to search for whether you have some kind of virus or malware in your machine. There's a lot of free tools you can use, but again, go to the actual websites to download those tools. Don't just search them mm-hmm. on, uh, on the web. And so, yeah, go directly to the website. And that's not just for this kind of situation. It's for anything, like whether it's a bank or it's anybody emailing you or even now phone calling. There's a lot of social engineering happening through phone calls where Wells Fargo or Bank of America will call you and it actually shows and says Bank of America or Wells Fargo on your phone mm. along with the phone number, but it's not the bank. And so you really have to say, hang up, I'm going to go and find on Wells Fargo's site or Bank of America's site and then call the number and then initiate whatever it is. Hey, I heard you're calling me regarding this. And many times you'll find that it's a fraudulent call. So interesting. 
Um, we have uh, full uh, call board here, so let's start, let's bring in some more people. Um, Scott in Martinez, welcome, Scott. Yeah, hey there. Um, you you guys have kind of t- touched on this a little bit with the last uh, couple of comments, but um, I own a small business, um, and uh, you know, every I'd say once a week, we get you know these emails. Your data has been compromised due to blah blah blah, and they. You know, they always show up in spam, so I just delete them without even opening them. But um, I'm wondering how how can we know if they're fake or real, like mm-hmm. without opening them, which we're kind of not supposed to do. <laughs> right, 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 Scott. It's a good it's a good question. I mean, do you want to walk us through like a kind of checklist, maybe of like what are the things that you check to see, like is this email legitimate or not? Yeah, sure. So I think one uh, thing to do is um, if you feel like your data has been compromised and it's through like a specific site, like maybe you have like customer logins on some particular site, um, is to maybe contact the website or those people directly and say, hey, I have an account here. Um, What can I do to like check on the status of my account? So I think doing your own research, I think as Rinki was mentioning earlier, Mm -hmm. rather than trying to find out like through the email, like rather Mm -hmm. than um, relying on that email to get you that information, trying to see like out stuff from outside sources if you can find that same information the um Riju, i was going to come to you on this because it you, earlier you kind of quickly mentioned like the things that you check when an email comes in right like the sender of the email because you know oftentimes there's sort of the email um sender has been spoofed but the actual address right will give it away Right. Yeah. No, you'll see something really long, you know, even in the vein of all the, all the Nigerian attacks that used to happen a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the sender name sounds very legitimate, but I think when you deep dive into the actual email address, you'll see it's really long or they'll say, you know, I think there was something like that with uh, USPS uh, a while ago mm-hmm. where, you know, you were getting emails to say that, hey, you have a package waiting at the post office. Uh, click on this link to talk to somebody there. Um but yeah, sort of, you know, the, the message will be very direct and they'll, it'll be very abrupt to say, if you don't act now, you know, your account's <laughs> going to be seized or your data is going to be compromised. Uh, and, and those sudden changes or sudden things typically don't happen. You know, if there's mm-hmm. a bank truly wants to call you, they will call you and say, hey, can you come in? Um, depending on the sensitivity of, uh, you know, yeah. the task. Um, let's bring in Ellen in Half Moon Bay. Welcome, Ellen. Hi there. Hi, welcome. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Okay. Um, I have, this is very timely. I just got an email recently, uh, which I have not opened, from someone I don't know. It says, I am a professional hacker and have successfully managed to hack. And, of course, I haven't opened it, so I don't know what they purport to have <laughs> hacked. I'm just wondering uh, what my... Uh, course of action should be is it safe to read it or should i just delete it i just i just on a narrative level i love starting out an email as a professional hacker hello dear friend i'm a professional hacker <laughs> i'm i'm quite disarmed by that i'm clicking on whatever link they um bring up um i actually what i mean what what should what should she do i don't know yeah i would say i'm like me i would just delete 
Yeah. I, it's but if you open it, I I don't think there's any harm in it, but I would just delete it. It sounds like spam. Uh, I, I think one tip that we haven't talked about, too, is whether, it you know, a lot of times when you're hacked, you're like, oh, my gosh, did I lose my password somewhere? We talked about password managers. The other tip I would throw out there, especially as I heard about the data compromise earlier with our small business owners, um, it's really in, it's really important for the accounts you care about, whether it's your banks or, you know, whatever it might be, turn, most of these sites have multi-factor authentication, meaning it's not just a username and password, but you can turn on two-factor authentication, meaning there's another step of verification. Do please, please, please do that. It makes then these emails that you get about, hey, I've been hacked, so much less important. You're like, okay, I know it's not going to be anything that I have two-factor authentication on for. So mm -hmm. that's just something I would really, really advocate. If there's one thing you can do is turn on multi-factor authentication for any site where you you're, you care about the data or your money or whatever it is um, that offers it. Yeah. yeah, something else to, I think, um, clarify is you don't want to be clicking on that email because sometimes there could be embedded code. Um, this doesn't happen a whole lot, but there could be embedded code that can run um, like malware that could mm -hmm. be like um, sneakily embedded into that email. So I think, as Rinky said, like you don't want to click on it at all. But um, let's just say you do accidentally click on it. Um, and then I would say uh, that... Um, you want to not definitely like see any links you just want to hover over the links and see where it takes you um and oftentimes that can also be an indicator because sometimes those emails they're being crafted like mm. better and better and more professionally so sometimes just that email may look like it's legit but hovering over the links and seeing if that's been spoofed is also very mm. important um rinky i know that like some of these things are uh, they're basic. It's like hygiene. That's why we talk about it in this way, right? But are there things that you're seeing on the horizon that maybe are more technically sophisticated or that involve, you know, some of these new AI tools or other things that you're kind of watching out for on the horizon? Yeah, um, I mentioned one of them. Uh, and, and this was because it's near and dear to my heart because someone close to me fell for it, which was the I never knew that you could fake a number and register it under a bank's name, for example, social engineering, social engineer folks that way. And then even with tax season, same type of thing, phone numbers showing up as the IRS calling people um, and very, very sophisticated. They know they've done some research about you already. And I think social engineering is still the number one way that people get um, fall victim to some of these hacks. Uh, but we are starting to see things like you mentioned AI with ChatGPT, and it's amazing. I use it all the time. It plans travel itineraries for me. It does all these great things. But the one thing, and this is why we've heard about, like, there's going to be massive use and blow up of this, and it's going to enable so many new business use cases and innovation around the world. Uh, the downside to it is we haven't really still figured out. Once you put something into an AI tool, especially if it's a public AI tool, you can't bring the data back, can't recover it. Once it's in there, it's done. Mm -hmm. So if companies put in private information or if you put your healthcare information, it's going to mm -hmm. go in there and it's done, right? And and how that resurfaces, we don't know yet, right? Mm -hmm. So there's um, AI is definitely a focus that I think everybody in the security community, I'm sure, Reju, you, mm -hmm. you you can talk to this more than even me, but everybody's talking about it right now. Um, we're also seeing that there's a lot more um, just uh, 
talking about ransomware, a lot new and a lot more innovation happening there. But ransomware, not just in the public sector, but more and more now hitting small businesses, mm. hitting individuals. And so that's another one. And there's protection against all this, whether you're a big business and have all the resources. But if you're small and me- medium business, there's also tools and small companies that serve small and medium businesses that can help you if you don't know kind of what you're doing around cybersecurity and help you protect the basic assets that you want protected. I think another aspect of AI is that your voice is actually very important. So if you do get a random number and you do answer it, what could happen is when you answer it, um, a video uh, or like an audio clip of your voice can be used mm. to generate like your um, more sentences in your voice. Right. So you definitely don't want to... You know, I know, there's so many either. hours of my voice, Rajvi, out there. I'm just like, <laughs> I have the most clonable voice now. You should have like hundreds of hours of me talking. Uh, for people who don't know what we're talking about, right, you can, there are, you know, we're used to that kind of Siri level voice generator, but of course now there's the possibility of generating a, a much wider variety of voices using not even that much audio, like you're, like you're noting. Um Shira, wanted to toss a question from Lisa, one of our listeners who writes in to say, an elderly family member was just duped into relaying all of their personal financial information because of a pop-up on their computer saying it was from Apple and that they had been hacked. The family member does not understand the concept of identity theft. They use their computer a lot. Are there some kind of restrictions that can be put on it to lessen their risk? Shira, what do you think? Well... Interestingly, some people use the same kinds of restrictions you can put for children that are using computers on the elderly. And I'm, I, I do apologize if I don't mean to offend anyone with that comparison. But if you have a more, you know, an elderly family member, or any kind of family member who's struggling to understand the security implications of those pop-up windows, of those emails, you can actually put things in place so that they can't click on things or they can only navigate to certain parts of their computers. I also know that when I'm talking to family members, one thing I always encourage them is by saying, listen, these spammers often use the sense of urgency to get you to click, whether it's an email or a pop-up or a phone call. They want to make you feel like you have to make a split second decision or you're going to lose all your data. You're going to lose access to something important. You've got to, you know, your bank is being hacked and you've got to act now. And taking a minute to breathe and just saying, wait a minute, is this my bank? Is this real? I'm not sure I'm going to navigate away from this window or I'm not going to open this email. I'm going to call my bank up at the 1-800 number that's on the back of my credit card and my ATM card. Like That can be the difference between being hacked and not being hacked. And they prey on people's psychology. They prey on a sense of urgency. So I constantly deliver a message to my older family members to say, don't click, take a minute to call me, take a minute to call someone else, but don't ever feel like you have to respond immediately. Mm. Let's bring in another caller, Debbie in Burlingame. Welcome, Debbie. Oh, hi. Thank you. I have had a number of my online accounts hacked. And I'm so sorry. Yes. And I'm wondering what I can do in the future to prevent it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rinky, do you want to start off with this one? Sure. A couple things. We talked about usually um, accounts get hacked because. your password may not be strong. Um, And so we talked earlier about having a strong password manager that can create passwords for you that are really complex that you don't you don't need to remember. Um, And I don't know what uh, what accounts of yours got hacked, Debbie, but one of the other things to think about is having 
some kind of if you're those sites have two factor authentication uh, where they can verify like after you put in your username and password, either they send you a text message or you use an, some kind of app that's a that provides a code that you would then put in or whether it's some kind of biometrics like, fa uh, you know, using face ID or thumbprint or whatever it might be, especially for your most um, important app apps like banking and so forth. Those are, I think, the most important mm. things that you can do. Um, there's also really, um, you can subscribe to these services that can help you discover whether or not your passwords have been hacked and if they're floating around. And so those are available. You get those annually. They'll find if there's any data about you mm. that's out there. Um, and that can be really helpful too. Um, sorry you were hacked, but I, I think in the future, if you do those things, you'll be mm. set. Um, sure, we've got one other uh, comment coming in. Seems perfect for you. Stephen writes, about a year ago, I had my Facebook account hacked with some fairly impactful results. Whoever hacked my account posted pictures of ISIS fighters with grenade launchers. I got an automated alert that I had violated community standards and that my account had been permanently disabled. Couldn't even log on to say that it uh, had not been me that made the post. Finally got back on through a friend who had an attorney friend that worked with Facebook. Even now, I mysteriously cannot donate to charitable causes on Facebook. I've had mul sent multiple requests to fix that, but with no results. Really demonstrates uh, how uh, automated uh, these things can be. I'm so sorry. That sounds like a real nightmare. Um, I cannot tell you how many emails I get about exactly this, that someone has had their Facebook or their Twitter account hacked, and they have not been able to reach those companies to get it fixed. And unfortunately, I think this problem is only getting worse. I mean, something we've written about recently at the New York Times is how Facebook is laying off 30% of their um, of their workforce. Twitter, Elon Musk's takeover has meant huge layoffs at that company. And one of the areas that got really impacted at both those places is customer support. And so I unfortunately don't really have good news. It's actually now harder than ever to try to reach somebody at those companies if your account has been hacked. And I know this isn't helpful, but... Um, Really, the best thing is to not have your account hacked to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I do hope it gets better. Both yeah. these companies are talking about using AI to try to fix this problem going forward. But we're we're really in a bad time for this right now. Yeah. Regia Parak, I want to give you the last word on this. Are there, is there anything we haven't mentioned that you would recommend that uh, people do? Just as cyber um, hygiene. Yeah, no, I think in, in vain with the previous caller, I think don't post pictures online. And, you know, and this is or anything online that you will possibly regret later on. And, you know, more so going, the message going to elderly and to uh, the youth, which are, you know, at a very high risk target mm. age bracket, um, just because, you know, they are naive. And I think, you know, kind of covering and tying up all the, the topics we've talked about, you know, I think in essence, the cybersecurity awareness has got to start young. Um, and I think with Rajvi and, 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 and her generation, I think we're doing a fantastic job of it. Yeah. This has been a great show produced by Raji Kanjan Shroff. She's a high school senior at Cupertino High School. Thank you so much, Raji. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> great job. Uh, we have also been joined by Shira Frankel of the New York Times cybersecurity reporter. Thank you, Shira. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Also been joined by Riju Parak, Associate Director of Global Cybersecurity and Managed Services Methodology Development for Urson Young. Thank you, Riju. Thank you. Happy to be here. And Rinky Sethi, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Bill.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Alexis, and thanks, Rajvi. This was awesome. This was our first Youth Takeover show of the week. Stay tuned for more all week long. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for Forum with Mina Kim. 
funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.